left off on verse 12. Uh, last week, we were talking about the uh, spiritual warfare. We were talking about the schemes of the devil. Do you guys remember that from last week? Amen. So we're going to begin in chapter 6, verse 13. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of your word. We thank you, Lord, for giving us this privilege to be in your house, to sit at your table, and to eat of the bread, which is your word, Lord, and to be filled and, and, and lifted up and strengthened this morning. We pray, God, that as we read your word, Lord, as we get into your word, that, Lord, you would begin to just do something in our hearts and in our minds, in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ephesians 6.13 says this, says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Now, we all know what a good day is like. You know, some of us, uh, most likely, uh, Thanksgiving was a, was a good day. We had a good time with our families, enjoying a good day. A good day for, for many people is maybe not going into work and, and having a, just a day to just relax and, and unwind. We all know what a good day is like. We all know what a bad day is like, right? You wake up and you realize that you have a flat tire and you have to get to work. And, and you, you know, you see that, you know, maybe the neighbor had left some nails in the driveway and, you know, it's just whatever, right? We, we know what a bad day is like. You know, your, your work, you know, maybe is going through a, a change in structure. There's a new boss, Maybe that has, you know, kind of, you know, caused you to have a bad day. Maybe, maybe there was frustration at work and you come home and you tell the wife, man, I had a bad day today. Things didn't go right. Maybe the kids are, are not, you know, acting as they should and they're really giving you a run for your money. Oh, man, that's, that's a bad, you know, that's a bad day. You know, but in reality... If you think about it, even our bad days are good days because, you know, we have a car, because we have children, because we have family, because we have a job to go to, because, you know, in spite of what maybe what's happening in that day, we still are blessed by God. We still have these resources and these these, these things that we can go to and, and, and people that we can see, right? So in reality, the bad day is really more of an inconvenience. And, and if you take it all, right, maybe, maybe you're having a bad day or there's a situation that is not going right and you talk to your buddy at work and he tells you a worse situation, you'd be like, well, maybe I don't have it all that bad, right? And so, like, you know, it's, it's really subjective, but what I'm, what I'm, where I'm going with this is that, you know, just being alive, just being here in this place is a good day. But in Ephesians says that there's an evil day. The evil day can refer to any moment of a spiritual attack. Before we go any further, we're going to just recap what we learned last week. 
We're, we're standing against the schemes of the devil. We talked about that last week, standing against the schemes of the devil. And that is a battle that the enemy wages against you internally. Schemes to get you to think that you're no good. Schemes to make you believe something so that you in turn can fall prey to the overall plan. You know, that is a scheme. In verse 13, there's a similar word, and it's called withstand, which has its similarities. They both mean to oppose in the Greek. Stand against and withstand are similar in that they're talking about opposition, to stand firm, to hold guard. But with the word withstand, verse 13 is talking directly about something that is coming against you. Not so much a scheme that's happening inside your head or a scheme to affect you internally. This is a, an attack coming personally against your life. Now, there are things that come against our lives. And if we're truthful this morning, there's a percentage, and, and for me, it's a big percentage of things that happen because of me. You know, things that, that I allow into my life. Irresponsibilities, come on. Can I get real this morning? Things that, things that uh, I do that affect me. And if I take a hard look, man, it, it, a lot of problems that come against my life are, are because of myself. And then there are, you know, things that affect me because of other people. A good example would be, you know, it, you know as we grew up, we struggled. I seen my mom struggle, and it, life was a struggle. But why? Because there was a breakdown in the family. My dad wasn't around. So my dad's actions affected me. So in reality, a lot of things that come against our lives are because of the actions of, of others or the actions that we ourselves do. And then, you know, there's also the, the testing of the Lord. Sometimes God will allow things in your lives to test you, to not test you like, like, you know, see what you're made of, but to bring forth a growth in your life, maybe to bring forth patience, maybe to temper your character because he has something planned for your life. And before he puts you into operation mode, he wants to make sure that your skin's a little thicker. You know what I'm saying? He wants to uh, bring out that character in your life to be able to handle the task he wants to give you. And, and then there are the spiritual attacks. The spiritual attacks is what we're talking about this morning. The, the evil day when all hell breaks loose in your life for no reason. But there is a reason. Anytime that you choose to make a stand for the Lord... Anytime that you choose to say, Lord, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to dedicate my life to you. I am going to take a step and take charge in my home spiritually and lead my family. Anytime that you do that, you become a target for the enemy. Because the last thing that the enemy wants is for you to take charge spiritually because you're going you're to change the course of your family. 
Because, see, the devil knows that a person who is dedicated to the Lord, a person who gives it all to the Lord is someone very dangerous because they will affect many lives. They will affect generations. And so the evil day is is a spiritual attack to, to stop and to withhold the purposes of God. Now, let's not forget that we have an enemy who wants to stop the work of God in the church and in our lives. It says in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, it says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now let's, let's move forward. In verse 14, it says this. It says, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. Stand therefore. So the word is saying, put on the armor of God to withstand these spiritual attacks. But First, I want you to fasten the belt of truth. It's no coincidence that the first depiction of our spiritual armor is the belt of truth. It is the central point in which everything else fits together. Think about it. I was looking at the armor of a a, a Roman soldier in which many people believe that is the depiction that we're having here. The belt holds together the breastplate. It serves as a hilt for the, the, the sword. It also has these long leather strips that provide protection to the knees and the lower parts of the body. The belt of truth, spiritually, is where it all begins. It all begins with truth this morning. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, we have the spiritual armor Through the Spirit, Paul is telling us to fasten the belt of truth. Before I go any further, let me tell you a story. I remember I was about 19, about 20 years ago. I was working for my my father-in-law, which wasn't my father-in-law at that time, but he would pick me up to go to work. And he was, was, man, I mean, even to this day, hardest worker I know. He would wake up, you know, super early, and I was 19, and I remember he came to my house, and it must have been like 5.30, 5, o'clock in the morning. We were supposed to go on a trip to Los Angeles, and I completely forgot, right? Great example I was being at that time. And so I, I, I got up. He called me. I was like, oh, shoot. Got up, grabbed whatever I could, pants I had on the ground, you know, I was 19, and I, and I bolted out the door. And as I left, you know, and we went to this job, he was telling me, yeah, man, we have this huge house we need to finish today. We got to get it done. You know, this is what we have to do. So as we get to the job site after driving, to, you know, in, in traffic and everything, we get to the job site, we start loading, out, loading off all the tools, offloading the tools, getting ready. And I realized I forgot my belt. And, you know, in a construction site, not having a belt, especially my, my, back then my pants fit me loose. You know, I, I don't have that problem anymore. 
But, uh, you know, to, to have tools and to be going up, and up a ladder and down a ladder, man, I was limited. You know, I was trying to imagine trying to glue pipe, you know, with both hands suspended in the air and trying to keep your pants up at the same time. Wasn't, <laughs> wasn't good. And my father-in-law, man, he was, he was really, come on, let's go, Jesse. And he would always push me. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's hurry, man. You know, he would see me probably a little worried, you know. How's this, how's this guy going to provide for my daughter? I don't know what was going on in his mind. But, you know, he come on, let's go. And, you know, I, eventually I was like, man, I got to get creative here. What am I do? I saw some zip ties. I was like, all right, got some zip ties. And zip tied my pants and, boom, I was able to, you know, go but that was a little late in the day but you know when there's a spiritual attack against your life and it catches you off guard you're 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 defenseless you're not ready you're you don't you don't have the 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 belt to to get to work and that's the situation i found myself in And this morning, I want to talk about the belt of truth this morning. Because many people have truth, but they don't have the truth. I want to draw our attention to John 18, 36 through 38. This was at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Pilate, who was in charge to basically sentence Jesus to death, was having a conversation with Jesus. People wanted to kill him, wanted to crucify Jesus. And it was up to Pilate to basically give the sentence. And it says in verse 37, then Pilate said to him, Jesus, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Verse 38 says, Pilate said to him, what is the truth? Now, Pilate wasn't asking for the meaning of truth. Pilate wasn't asking Jesus, what is the meaning of truth, Jesus? Because, see, Jesus already had answered that for him. He said, I am the truth. Those that, you know, obey the truth, they obey me. What Pilate was really saying was, what is truth? And to give you a a further explanation, see, the Jews had their own version of truth. If we had a chance to be in that scenario, think about it being in the crowds and, 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 and listening to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and listening to their argument, I'm sure some would be persuaded because they have their version of truth. They believe Jesus should be crucified. Pilate had his own version of truth. He said, well, you know, I really don't care. To me, it's all relative. Your truth, Jesus, what Jesus said, okay, that's true for you. And the Jews, that's true for you. And I have my own truth. And we know this because he declared Jesus innocent, but yet had him flogged and he he still was crucified. 
relative truth today is truth that can be anything. There's no reference point. It's all relative. It says here, you cannot base your faith on Christ on relative truth. You can't do that this morning. It says in Ephesians 4, 14, and 15, so that we may no longer be children, tossed into and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, uh, truth that is relative is like what Paul is saying here. Like children who are being tossed to and fro. Whatever sounds right, I'll believe Whatever it sounds true, I'll believe, not having any really real base, but yet being tossed to and from. And this kind of truth is not the kind of truth that we can build our lives upon. It is relative truth. Then, secondly, there is what's called subjective truth. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, it says... For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they will have itchy ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We live in a day and age where popularity trumps biblical sound teaching. Philosophers of ancient times to our modern day society argue this meaning of truth. I mean, I just did a Google search this week about truth. And oh my goodness, universities debating, I mean, 100 page documents on what is the meaning of truth. Philosophers, I mean, Plato and Socrates, you know, debating hundreds of years, thousands of years on truth, on what is truth. And in the arguments, universally, everybody believes this. What is true for you is true for you. And what is true for me is true for me. Now, it's been cold the last couple of days. It's been cold in my house. Just yesterday, it was so cold that I told my wife, let's turn on the heater. My wife had her pajamas or, you know, socks and, you know, and I was in shorts. Now, it was cold in my house. But she wasn't cold. And I was cold. Both statements are true. Both statements are true. But it's subjective. What the world tries to do is they try to make God subjective. But God is eternal. If someone says there is no God, and I say there is a God, 
Both cannot be true and false at the same time. God is not subjective. God's word is not subjective. Now, the problem is that is this. Truth cannot be, God's truth cannot be subjective. God's word is truth. And God's word is absolute. Look at what Jesus said in John 17, 17. He said, your word is truth. Jesus was saying that the truth of God's word is absolute, not subjective, not relative, not based on human thinking or understanding, not based on whether you agree or disagree. God's truth is something that we come into. It's, it's not something that we can bring down to our level and say, if I agree, if it makes sense with my lifestyle, if it, if it aligns with my beliefs, my opinions, then it's something that I can take hold of. God's truth is absolute, not subjective. Biblical truth this morning. Now, I want to read one more story in John 14, verses 4 and 6. Jesus was speaking about his kingdom. And one of his disciples said to him in verse 5, it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus proclaimed, I am the truth, this was an example of the absolute truth. Jesus provided the clearest, straightest answer to knowing the way. Only God's truth can save a person from eternal death. Only God's truth can do that. No philosophy, no, no wise saying, no quote of the day can save a person. Only God's truth can do that. It says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. It says in 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one, 31, God's way is perfect and his word proves true. How can we withstand the evil day? With subjective truth? With relative truth? With philosophy? With, with wise thinking? No. The only way that we can withstand the attacks of the enemy is with the absolute truth of God's word. One day the devil and one of his minions were walking down this road. And they saw this man ahead of the road pick up a shiny object. And the minion asked the devil, what did he find? 
A piece of truth, the devil replied. Doesn't that bother you that he found a piece of truth? Asked the minion. No, said the devil. I will see to it that he makes his own religion out of it. We cannot cherry pick the things that we like about God's word. Wearing the belt of truth means that we are governed by it. That our thoughts, that our beliefs, that our traditions bow before the truth of God. The belt of truth means that we are not walking in our own way. That we've chosen to believe the word of God and follow the word of God and listen to the word of God and let the word of God guide our lives. It's not truth of the Bible mixed with theology, our own theology, with philosophy from cultural references. It's the truth. It's God's word. And only biblical truth can help us withstand the attacks. Things that we're not prepared for. Things that come against our lives that we would never see coming and we're not prepared to handle. But if we have the truth of God in our lives, we'll be able to stand firm. Plant yourself in the truth of God's word. Make a decision today to begin wearing the belt of truth. God's promise to you is that you will not be moved. Let's read what it says in Psalm 1, 1 and 3. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. If King David was passionate about God's word, which really only consisted about five books in that time, how much more should we be passionate about God's truth that we have the whole word of God this morning? A tree planted by the stream is a tree who has a constant flow of fresh water. It's a tree that is not affected the same way that other trees are affected that rely on seasons to bring rain. It's a tree that will give fruit in its season when other trees can become withered due to climate infestation and disease. The thought here this morning is that we should plant ourselves in God's word which is the living water, which is the word of life, which is the fountain for our lives. And if we plant ourselves and root ourselves in God's word, we will always have that stream of water in which our roots will absorb. So even when the drought comes, even when the seasons change, even when things happen in your life that you can't explain, that you weren't prepared for, you will stand firm 
You'll be able to withstand the evil day because you are rooted in God's word. Let us fasten the belt of truth this morning. Let us walk worthy of the calling this morning. Let us bow our heads as we pray.